It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's Wimbledon week, it's another scorcher. The Cabinet is uniting over a new deal for Brexit and all's well with the world after a fabulous weekend. Uh, no, hang on. Uh, there's an alternative version of this. Wait a minute. Andy Murray's pulled out of our stellar tennis fortnight. We're running out of water and fizzy drinks. Theresa May has finally lost control of her own ministers and the moors are still burning ever closer to Manchester. That's more like it. The checkers get-together this week has already been cut down to nothing and things couldn't really get any worse, could they? I'll be asking Katie Perrier, who's back from a whirlwind tour of the London party circuit. We haven't seen it for a while. 03444991000. Coming up later on, we'll go live to Saddleworth Moor to see how the fire services are coping with the fires, which seems to have now joined and conjoined into one big blaze. We'll discover why more women want to play chess and we'll be going down to the queues at Wimbledon as the All England Club's matches get underway. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Luckily, there are some people who are able to say things about the NHS which are not entirely rosy because, I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things that I thought the, the, the Tory party blundered on again last week was Prime Minister's questions. Jeremy Corbyn stands up. He's got a great big NHS 70 badge on. Every single member of the Labour Party front bench has got a great big NHS 70 badge on. And what do the Tories have? Nothing. So everybody's looking at them going, see, they don't care about the NHS. Look at that. They're not even wearing a badge. I mean, they should have had a bit more foresight, shouldn't they? Of course they should have. I mean, they're the things that you have all the time, you yeah. know, when you're going to wear a Even if it was a little tiny one, Exactly. You know, you know when you're going to do all of those things. And normally Jeremy Hunt... Uh, on every suit he owns, he has an NHS badge. Yes. He doesn't want to get caught out. And when he went into number 10 and they tried to talk him into taking a different job, he walked in with a big NHS badge on and I thought, he ain't going anywhere. He's <laughs> well, not going anywhere. Well, they should have thought about that, but maybe they'll be uh, they'll be doing it this Wednesday because, of course, Thursday is the official 70th birthday of the NHS. We're going to talk now, though, uh, to Mark Littlewood, uh, who's from the Institute of Economic Affairs. And I think he's going to be telling us uh, that basically he doesn't believe uh, that it is absolutely only a jewel in the crown. Mark, a very good morning to you. Hi, Mark. Good morning, Mike. Good Thanks morning, very much morning, indeed uh, for talking to us. Very interesting piece of the Times this morning about how, you know, the NHS is becoming a little bit of a cult. And it's not just with kind of lefties and Corbynistas, but it's with sure. almost everyone you talk to. They always begin the conversation with, well, of course, the NHS is the jewel in the crown of our country and it's the most amazing thing. But 
you know? Yeah, yeah that's right. It, it is really quite extraordinary. I mean, you can obviously remember back to the Olympic ceremony where the, the you know, celebrating the NHS at the London Olympics was yes. sort of the jewel in the crown of the nation. I, mean, I remember speaking to some, um, some foreigners after that who, who thought that this was sort of self-deprecating humour on the part of the Brits. Sort of, why <laughs> was that, was that after they'd come here to... Substandard, you know, healthcare. Was, was that after they'd come here to, uh, to make use of our services? Well, this is the interesting thing, and I wonder whether, if you like, the apparent love and adoration of the NHS is that we don't tend to share services very much. I mean, we because most people go on, say, foreign holidays, or a good number of us do, we can compare French food with English food, yeah. Italian restaurants with British restaurants. It's quite unusual, really, for anybody to be able to compare... German A&E with British A&E or British cancer treatment with Italian cancer treatment because you'll tend, obviously, to only receive health care in your home uh, country and you will obviously tend to be very grateful if you go into hospital with a problem and come out fit. You sort of think, well, how that was marvellous. You don't actually sort of think through objectively, well, okay, I survived, but would I have actually had a slightly better chance of surviving if I'd been, you know, in Germany, France or Italy? And the actual numbers suggest that although we in Britain seem to think that we are sort of top of the Premier League when it comes to healthcare, actually, in terms of your chances of surviving yeah. from cancer or a stroke, we're much closer to being in a relegation battle. But isn't that part of the British psyche? You know, we think we're the best at everything in, in any in any respect, really, including football, unfortunately, at this particular time yeah. of the year. But, you know, but the fact is we're not. I mean, Alex Massey's piece uh, in The Times, as I say, is, is fantastic in a way because yeah. he talks about how if it was any other business which was run like this and, and you know, waiting four hours in A&E to be seen by a doctor was considered to be great, basically the business would, would go under. Of course it would go under. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary and it just isn't sort of patient-centred. I mean, just trying to... Um, you know, book a GP's appointment. You know, you have to sort of phone up at eight in the morning and then you're told if you want to come in today, you've got to come in at a time that suits the doctor, you know, so we've got a slot for you at half past three in the afternoon. I mean, you would never accept this sort of service from a restaurant, phoning up saying, I would like to book a table for two, please, or them saying, well, you've got to come along at, you know, 6.15pm on Thursday. Also, would you mind paying for all those other people's dinners over there because they haven't got any money? Is that right? Well, exactly. No, I mean, I think it's, it's extremely strange that we've got into this psychological state about the NHS. And you wouldn't expect no. that, Mark, either from a school, because a restaurant's one thing, it's a private entity, but a school is paid for by all of us out of our taxes, and you expect it to be open at 8.30 in the morning, you expect it still to be teaching sure. children at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, and you don't suddenly get a phone call saying, oh, I'm afraid the teacher's changed her mind, and she no longer yep. can do today, she'd like to do tomorrow instead, and can you can you change your diary accordingly? Really interesting piece, the, the, as, as Mike says, the Alex Massey piece in the Times today, but what Alex is warning is that this is a dangerous position to be in because when you love something like that so much and you protect it so much and you have this kind of rose-tinted glasses, you're not willing and you're not willing to persuade the public that it needs to change. It needs to change yep. dramatically to survive, to cope with the you know the amount of demand that we've got. And that also means efficiencies rather than just money. Are we in a dangerous state with the NHS as we celebrate its 70th birthday? I think it's... it's I mean, it's not just dangerous, Katie. It's actually leading to a measurable number of deaths. If we were able to um, match Germany in terms of cancer treatment, 12,000 British people every year would stay alive who otherwise die. Mm. If we were able to match Belgium on cancer treatment, that number would be 14,000 people every year. So our failure to actually grasp this issue, to actually look at the facts, to consider 
that we might actually have rather more to learn from the rest of the mm. world than we do have to teach the rest of the world, is, you know, week on week, year on year, leading to more British people dying than would be the case if we replicated the healthcare systems in Europe. And the real annoyance here that I have is, is often, not thankfully on your programme, but often when I'm discussing this, people immediately just um, revert to, oh, you want us to be like the USA, they yeah. totally privatised and very expensive, as if the only healthcare systems in the world are the British National Health Service and the disastrously expensive American system. Actually, nearly all of the healthcare systems in Europe have... A, universal coverage, which I think people feel very strongly about. They yeah. do want to make sure that even if you're uh, not on a, a decent income, you can get health care. And B, produce much better health outcomes because they're much more market-orientated. The National Health Service is now, I believe, the second largest employer on planet Earth, yeah. with more than one million employees governed by a politician in Whitehall. This is in no way a sensible basis on which to provide a flexible, innovative healthcare system that actually keeps citizens alive and makes them better. Yeah. And but also, I, one of the things... Well yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Mark, and I totally agree with you. But one of the other things that I would point out to people is I lived in America for 10 years. My, my, some members of my family still live in America. And as much as, you know, there are plenty of things wrong with the American health system, there are plenty of things they do very well too. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, the, the, some of their cancer... Uh, uh, treatment rates are incredibly high. Uh, they are very, very good at spotting cancers that we miss. They are very, very yep. good at treating cancers that we don't seem to want to treat because you live in the wrong postcode. Yep. And they're also much less money-oriented than people think. I mean, I'll give you an example. My mother, uh, who's 94, has been in a hospital in America uh, for the last month or so. She had a fall, she broke her hip, and mm -hmm. uh, they fixed it up for her. But because she's not particularly wealthy, they basically waive the fees. And the yep. state pays them because she's 94 years of age. She's got some health insurance, but she doesn't have enough to cover what would be about a $30,000 health bill. But she doesn't have to pay it. And the, the idea that people are left on the ground outside and nobody will treat them is an absolute myth. No, it is a myth. That's right. People have this idea that sort of as you're bleeding on the roadside, you need yeah. to get out your credit card before an ambulance will pick you up, which isn't the, the case at all. Mm. My only note of caution, though, is that I don't think the Americans have cracked this. You're quite no, right I don't think they have. Mike, that, you know, can't, if, if you are an absolute average American, your chance of surviving cancer is measurably higher than if you are an absolutely average Brit. That yes, is true. That's true. And they do spend a lot more on health care, but that's quite a benefit. You know, surviving cancer is exactly the sort of thing you want your absolutely average citizens to be able to do sure. but i just wonder because the if you like the american system has such toxic publicity whether the way to break this open is to actually start a, a debate to say well could we perhaps look at the netherlands could we look at germany could yeah. we even look at france these are not countries that are considered to be ideological right-wing bastions of rampant free market capitalism i'm sure if the dutch or even the swedes are organizing their healthcare in a rather different fashion might we have something to learn from them and the statistics on survival which is always the statistics you should look at really if you are diagnosed with condition x be that cancer or if you've just had a stroke or whatever what is your chance of being alive in five years time and the truth of the matter is that overwhelmingly europe outperforms us and you've got to bear in mind we're one of the richer countries in europe we should be towards the top of the table mm. we should be be able to we should have the same sort of level of health care so Germany why don't we mark is it down to inefficiency it's totally down to inefficiency. Can you imagine that if we ran, I don't know, 
British food supply in the way that we ran the National Health Service. Rather than having Tesco's and Asda and Lidl competing, we actually had the Ministry for Food, which would determine uh, which supermarket God, you had to go food. to in order to pick up... Boiled the, cabbage you know, for dinner, then? The, the boiled ca- exactly. I mean, it, it is almost a Sovietized system, the way we run healthcare. And we know from empirical experience, if you run things on that state-based basis, with a sort of monolithic central planning from Whitehall, targets and missives being sent out, no real incentive on the ground to innovate or find efficiencies or find better ways of doing things, no, no real competition between Dr. X and Dr. Y or Surgeon X and Surgeon Y. Whereas if you were to look over to Germany, I think I'm right in saying in Germany now, there is virtually no hospital that is owned by the state. Virtually every, if not every single hospital in Germany is owned by, is owned by the private oh, sector. Oh, but you said a really dirty so, word there. Do they have a sort of... Oh, but, but this is the bit we've got... To, I tell you the bit we've got to get right is there's no problem with private enterprise in healthcare. We need to detach who provides the service with who pays for it. So typically in Europe, it's still funded by taxpayers. You're, you're not just on your own to sort of, you know, buy it as if you buy car insurance or house insurance or fire insurance. The, the government is there certainly to help you out if you're poor. So the funding can still come from the state. But because the funding comes from the state, it doesn't mean that you actually need politicians to run the service itself. A very good morning, Sid. Good morning, guys. How are you? Well, I was all right until about two minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, that story did turn my stomach. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. So if you can get to... Son, the worst swell I've ever heard was is, is chimp pads. About, you know, they're, the, they're the worst. Oh. Well, the trainers don't leave uh, much to be desired either, to be honest. No, no very much so. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I was ringing about Theresa May. Yeah. Um, it's time she showed some leadership on Friday. Yeah. I um, mean, as your guy from The Times was saying this morning, I mean, the civil servants have been working on this for a long time. Uh, we know where the red lines are on both sides now. Um, she must be able to present a deal that she thinks she can get to Cabinet. And but she I don't think she knows what deal she wants, never mind what deal everybody else wants. Well, she's got to grow a pair, to, to use a phrase, and, yeah. and, and decide what it is. And she's got to call everybody's bluff on Friday and say, mm. right, you either sign up to this, to supporting this and helping the people through, out. or you get out the door. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can go forward on this. Because, But the trouble is, as I said, the biggest impediment to that, which is a great idea... Is, is her own belief system, I think. I mean, Katie, you might know better than me what her kind of intellectual level of, of Brexit is. Like, what does she actually want? Well, she's a pragmatic kind of politician. She's not ideologically linked to one side so or another. So she doesn't believe in anything? No, well, no, I actually think, I think that quite possibly in the madness of people taking such diff- different positions, she is probably perfectly placed to try and unite them where other people would have probably you know, kicked off by now and it would have gone one way or another. So actually, although she doesn't have this drive that is, I'm, we must do this, we must do that, she does want the best outcome for the UK. and She's trying to achieve that. It's just a lot harder than it looks. And people at home are going, hold on a minute, I voted for this a couple of years ago, get on with it. Mm. Exactly. That's, I mean, I don't think they understand how cheesed off everybody is with the political classes. I mean, if any of those... Uh, um, rebels think that they're going to get elected after this. Um, you know, if they if they carry on with the backbiting and continual fighting and not getting on with the job, I, I think they're grossly mistaken. Yeah. I don't think any of them will be the leader of the, ter- the Tory party in six months' time. I mean, the uh, only thing that's, that's vaguely interesting for me is what happens, but the trouble is I don't want, obviously, Jeremy Corbyn to become Prime Minister, but if there was a general election caused by, say, Rhys Mogg or somebody calling for a vote of no confidence in Theresa May... I don't think Labour's strong enough to win. Do you know that? 
we'll get another hung parliament, won't we? We'll yeah. get another a mixed message because we are divided on this, as are both major political parties. Yeah. I know, the nation's divided and parliament's kind of reflecting that and it's how we get through this period and leadership, what we end up with. Leadership is how we do it. And some, somebody actually puts a, a line in the sand and says, this is what we've got to do, this is the best we can get and we've got to get to pull together and unify. And I don't care whether she kicks them out and appoints a load of lords to the Cabinet, which I think she's no right to do, if they're members of the, of yep. the party, etc. Um, you know, get some people in there who are going to get the job done. And be honest with the country and say, look, I couldn't work with him, him, him and him, because they were being totally unreasonable in different directions, pulling me all over the place. You know, and this is, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we can get. I've just had a great idea. I've just had a great idea, right? Why doesn't she appoint a couple of uh, opposition Brexiteers to the cabinet? Could she do that? Yeah, I mean, a government of all the talent. And do do a government and say, look, this government is about Brexit. I don't want anyone in it who doesn't want Brexit. I want everybody in it to want Brexit, and I want to embrace the opposite. It would completely kill Corbyn off, right? (laughs) Adopt a couple of Labourites who are for Brexit. That's a brilliant idea, isn't it? You know, Corbyn won't have them in his cabinet because a lot of those people aren't exactly, you know, in with the... your close team to Jeremy Corbyn right now, so they have got time on their hands and they've got things to do. Yeah. You'll never see it happen in a million years. It's a good idea, though, isn't it? Well, I, you know, I think there is a, a kind of call for cross-party consensus on things like yeah. housing and NHS, yeah. and Brexit's so big that maybe we should have a royal commission yeah. on Brexit and, and take it out of politicians' hands and have the best and the brightest in we the country to We don't have to have a royal commission on anything, Katie. We just have to get people in there to take some flipping decisions. You know, I mean, the people have been fairly clear about what they wanted in the majority, and, you know, somebody's got to have the balls to actually sit down and say, this is what we've got to do. We've got a limited time span to get it done. Uh, and, you know, we cannot have people working against us. So you, you, you and you, get out. Yep. And, do what and, you then, like. and then the answer from the Conservative Party will be a new Theresa May get out. Well, that's fine, because if, if they t- I mean, that would be the biggest suicide note in history. Because if they cause another election right now, I don't think that people will ever forgive them. Do you, Hugh, do you think that they can replace Theresa May with another politician without calling an election? Um, no, because I don't think any other politician... They could replace it with a robot, though. Would, ...would want to actually take it. I mean, who would take that job right now? Oh, well, they're queuing. They just, they just don't want to be the one that sticks the knife in. Believe me, they want it. Yeah, they but just they don't want, want it now, three in. months before Brexit, do they? Or four, no, six months before Well, they before might not Brexit. have much choice. Yeah, well, Gavin Williamson might. will take it now. He'll take anything, won't he? This guy. I mean, he's, 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 the, the, the sort of the stunningly blind ambition of this bloke is, is, is quite something to watch. Uh, it's, it's a horrific situation. They're, they're all showing far too much self-interest and not enough national unity. Yes, you're absolutely right, Hugh. Thank you very much. Indeed. I think Hugh, Hugh should be in the cabinet. I think he should. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I've never heard that you need a license to keep well, chickens. Well, you can now be fine. When, I was, living, when I was living in the, the young one's house when I was a student in Bath, right, we used to have two chickens. Did you? Yeah, which we kept. And it was a bit of a sad story, actually, because... <laughs> you got hungry. Well, no. Well, it wasn't so much that we got hungry, but um, one of the chickens uh, we thought had stopped laying eggs, right? Um, because we had a little hen house, because it was a really old house, and it actually had a place to keep chickens. Uh-huh. Right? But they were free range. They used to walk around. We gave them names. We called them Nkomo and Mugabe, because we were so funnily connected to, you know, the international oh my God. political scene, right? Anyway, they were two Cornish, Cornish Reds, I think they were called. Uh-huh. And um, we, we were run by this kind of mad guy who decided he'd, he'd, he'd dropped out of the Royal Navy. Uh, because he decided that he didn't want to be involved in killing people. And he became a vegan and all sorts of stuff like that. So we were growing our own vegetables, and we were just kind of going along with it because we didn't have any money. So that seemed like a good idea to us, right? Anyway, so the one chicken, he stops. Uh, so we had to have this meeting. He said, look, it's, if it stopped um, laying eggs, then clearly it's no longer part of the, um, you know, no. No, no, no longer part, part of, of, the cult. The, of the cult. So it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So we're going to have to kill it. And um, we said, well... Why do we have to kill it? He said, well, because it's not it's not being efficient. And so we went, well, who's going to kill the chicken? And he said, well, one of us is going to have to do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to kill a chicken. I mean, I barely know And it's how your to... idea, fella. You know, it's your idea. You know, he did. He had a brother that worked in an abattoir. No. Right? And he imported the brother from no. Portsmouth, right? And so we had to go into the garden. I was nominated to hold the chicken no. by the legs. Yeah. Hold the chicken oh, by the legs. No. Upside down. And the guy who was killing it just gave it a karate chop to the neck. But but the bloke was a vegan, so who ate the chicken? We did. You did. It was the best tasted chicken you've ever had. Oh no, I couldn't eat good. the one running around in the garden. It was beautiful for a while. It was so good. Anyway, apparently you probably could be fined for that. You can also be fined for dropping the children off in the wrong place. You can also be fined for carrying open alcohol, playing ball games, and being noisy. So a bottle of prosecco in the park with a couple of girlfriends. Yeah, you could picnic. you could get a get fixed penalty fine. notice. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk to uh, Josie Appleton, uh, who is director of the Manifesto Club, uh, to find out what this is all about. Uh, hi, Josie. Hi, Josie. Hello. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I suppose these are all ancient bylaws, are they, that they've suddenly decided to, to, to enact on? Um, some of them are uh, like bylaws, but they're all using a new power called Public Spaces Protection Orders. Oh, yeah. Um, which have been around since 2014. And the times today show they're being used more and more. Um, and essentially it allows councils to ban anything they like so long as they think it, this activity has a detrimental effect on the quality of life. They certainly, they certainly sneaked that through, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. There was very little debate about it when it was going through. Um, we picked it up in very late stages and no one seemed to know about it. Um, and, you know, it's a very vague phrase, detrimental effect on quality of life. It doesn't, no one knows what it means, really. No. And who, and who was kind of responsible for it? Is this a... Um... A local council act, as it were, was it put through Parliament? I mean, I just don't remember anything like this ever being debated. It was Theresa May as Home Secretary. Was it? Yeah. So another one for Theresa oh, May dear. to own up to. Yeah, another one for her. So, so her week has just got even worse. This is outrageous, really, because, I mean, you know, you often see these signs in, in say, council estates where it says no ball games, but you don't, I mean, people tend to probably pay attention to them and they probably don't play ball games, but if if you do play a ball game, so you're running the risk now of somebody just basically coming and slapping a ticket on you. Exactly, and, and some of them are even more ridiculous than that. So there's quite a lot of councils that are banned standing in a group, um, including <laughs> Hillingdon, which is banned standing in a group of two or more people. Really? 
So obviously they're not actually finding every person standing in a group of two or more people, but they could get anyone they want to get, and right. that's how they're using it. And what was their reasoning for that then, Hillington? What do they say they're, they're somehow solving? Uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's pressure from the police. The police kind of want law right. that is dream law that allows them to get anyone they want to. And so they, they, don't, they just like any kind of procedure that makes them prove anything or um, show that something yeah. is true. Um, and so there is pressure from the police. Um, there's also, uh, I think within certain councils, I think they, they, you know, they're not used to writing criminal law and... From, in my mind, shouldn't be their job. Um, no, exactly. I mean, that's the other thing, is that if, if anything happens in the country which the public do not really know about, and in fact a law has been enacted which we were never really told about, and I have, don't recall seeing any notices up anywhere saying, by the way, the laws have now changed, and this means for you in Sussex, for example, uh, that you can't do this anymore. Yeah, exactly, and I think that um, essentially the, the thing was rushed through Parliament and now councils can, a council is presented as local democracy. It's nothing of the sort. A single councillor can write this law right. overnight almost. All they have to do is ask the police chief if he thinks it's OK or she thinks it's OK. If they say yes, then it's basically that's it. They don't need a public consultation. They don't need to go through elected councillors. So it's almost like re- removing any kind of check or anyone saying, wait a minute, is this a good idea? Right. What's the evidence for this? Um, it's, it's basically kind of cowboy law. And you get the result that you'd expect when you remove those kind of important checks, which is, you know, laws that are just complete nonsense, really. Um, and criminalise things councillors don't like. You know, sometimes it's just the councillor bans dog walking in a park because he or she personally hates dogs. Right. You know, it often comes down to something like that. And, and, and if you, I mean, if you, what, what rights do we have? If somebody came up to me, for example, because I was, I don't know, swearing in the street, highly unlikely, of course, but, I mean, if I was, um, and some character comes up and goes, I'm going to fine you £100, have I got the sort of um, the right, as it were, to say, well, I'm, I don't care, I'm not interested, I'm not paying it, and I'm not telling you who I am, and I'm not giving you any details. What happens then? Well, OK, um, <laughs> this isn't legal advice, but... Uh, if it's, if it's not a police officer, then they don't have a power of arrest, right. so you can walk away. Um, but if it is a police officer, they can arrest you. Uh, I mean, the problem is that these laws are brought through. They should be appealable in a court, but they're just not. Right. And that was the idea is that you could appeal to the high court. If it was if, if a council brought through a city PSPO, you could appeal. It's just the grounds for appeal are ridiculous. It costs like 50 grand, 70 grand to appeal, and then you're probably going to lose because right. the grounds for appeal are so narrow. In effect, they are untouchable, and nobody is appealing them, except for like there's been two cases so far, and it's just not they're not it's not happening. So that's horrendous, it, isn't it? It is, yeah. So in effect, they're unappealable, and then it, it's basically law. So if you go to the judge, then if you're before magistrates, then you would only have to show they would only have to show that you had sworn. Yeah, right. Your defence that it's it's unreasonable. To, so it's their word against mine, in other words, as well. It would be, yeah, and and in a way they don't have to prove that their PSPO is reasonable because it's it's law then. Right. So, because I mean, even I mean, in the situation, for example, do you know where in some cases I've read where people get get sort of cautioned by the police and they ask you sometimes whether that you would accept a caution, which is still a criminal offence, but but less serious than say being formally charged and going through the court process. But they offer you that choice. It's not like one or you know, it's not like they make you do it. But, you know, as you were saying earlier, the police like to do things which are cut and dried without having to go through the courts. This sounds mm. like a cut-rate a cut version of that, you know? Yeah, I think that's a tendency over time. And this was actually a point made in Parliament when they were reviewing this bill, which is there's been a kind of arms race 
they called it, in yeah. social behaviour powers, where they're basically increasing and increasing the powers more and more and making the definitions broader and broader yeah. and making the whole thing easier and easier without any evidence that this is, this is going to actually solve the, the things that everyone would agree was a problem. Actually, most people, the things that people think of a problem are generally criminal offences, mm. and people agree on them. You know, they don't agree on these new bogus offences. Like, not everyone agrees that it should be an offence to sleep ducks lie on the ground, yeah. for example, or to play music right. or to play ball. You know, we, we don't agree on those things. And so they shouldn't be criminal law. And I think it's just, it's, it's an escalation thing. It's, it's getting out of control. And, yeah. Have you, um, got, have you got a sort of map of where we can uh, find out where all these, these things are going on so that we can make sure we don't go there? Um, we had a map we did... Um, a year, a year ago or so, um, which is on a site, if you Google protest PSPO okay. manifesto club, that we've got um, an online map there. Good. Well, I think we're going to but check that one out. It's a big job keeping up with more. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Well, listen, I think you and I are going to be talking a lot over the next few months because I'm liking the sound of what you're against. And so I think we can join Great. forces and try and uh, put these little sort of bureaucrats to the sword because that's what I'd like to do. Josie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Josie Appleton there from the Manifesto Club, which is a, an organisation that keeps a check, thankfully, on some of the bureaucracy that goes on. This is outrageous. I'm really quite upset about this. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Dial up some dialogue. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.